All right, if you haven't been here or if you've left it at home, you will notice that over the last couple of weeks we've been looking through this idea how to get ready to be used by God, purify your heart. Uh, by the way, all of these now, if you'll notice, we've started, uh, we've started uh, uh, recording these. So if you'll go online, if you ever miss one, if you'll go online by Tuesday uh, afternoon, this is posted. And so you can click on it. Uh, if, I, I tell you what, I'll send everybody a link. I'll send everybody a link. If you, if you are not on my men's Bible study email list, if you want to email me at pastor at cottonwoodcreek.org, pastor at cottonwoodcreek.org, and all you got to write is men's Bible study. That'll get you on this email list. Um, so pastor at Cottonwood Creek. The other way, how many of you got the text last night? Anybody get the text? All right. If you would like to be on the men's text list, if you will text, uh, Justin, help me remember the 77978, Text to 77978. Text the word men's. Is that what they do? Is that the right word? CC men. Text CC men. CC men. And uh, you'll get a text message. And we don't dump them all on you at all the time. But like last night, I said, hey, come. It's our last day of uh, how to prepare to be used by man. So 77978 is the number that you text. Text CC men. Or email me, uh, and uh, and I will email out a link. So if you miss a day, uh, you'll be able to get these. All right. So you've looked at um, uh, sanctify your body. We looked at a couple of weeks ago. Then simplify your life if you're going to be used by God. Uh, and today I, I want to talk to you on this idea of fortifying your faith and fortifying your faith. Uh, Jude uh, one. If we're going to be used by God, we have to fortify our faith. Jude one says, "But you, dear friends." By building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Fortify your faith. That, that word, build yourself up, means that we want to be stronger in our faith. We want to grow our faith. If you feel like your faith is, is waning or, uh, or, or failing or, or struggling, uh, I want you to know that you need to fortify your faith. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves, there it is, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. What was that attitude? Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, he says, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. In other words, those of us who know that Christ died for us, we don't live our lives. We want to fortify our faith, fortify our body. We don't live our lives uh, to fulfill my human flesh, my human desires, whether that's um, with sexual immorality or some other uh, struggle that I have or, or whether it's a vile lifestyle or to please myself financially or whatever. I want to live to honor God, to honor God's will in my life. So fortify our faith. First uh, Timothy chapter chapter 4, verse 7, and they're just references there on your passage, so I'm reading them to you if you want to go study them later. Have nothing, notice this, he says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, rather than, rather, instead, he says, train yourselves to be godly. Now notice, when we talk about fortifying our faith, he uses the word strengthen yourself in the faith. He says what? He says, be strong and arm yourself against fulfilling human and earthly desires. And then finally, he says, don't get caught up in godless myths, but instead train your body. So that's where the idea, train my mind spiritually, my body spiritually. All right, let me give you four habits. Let me talk to you about four habits. So number four was fortify your faith. Write that in. Four habits that will help us be used by God. Here's number one. Ready? Study your Bible. 
Study your Bible. Man, we've got to learn to read it. We've got to learn to read it and hear it and know it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, notice that. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, I will submit to you, sadly so, that many believers just read verse 16. Many good and godly believers just read verse 16. Let me tell you what. Verse 16 is totally inspired by God. But when it was originally written, there weren't things as chapters and verses. There weren't sentences and periods. So verse 16 and 17 were originally written together. A lot of believers think Man, I read God's Word so I can walk around teaching other people, rebuking other people, correcting other people, and training them in righteousness. But verse 17 says, so that. In the Greek, that's called a henna clause. All right? That means what is stated before is for the sole purpose of us doing what is stated afterwards. That's called, in the Greek, a henna clause. So anytime you were just reading, if you wanted to, just write the word so that, so that. Or in some translations, it's in order to. Usually in the Greek, all right, usually in the Greek, if you see those two words translated, that means what was written before precedes us absolutely having to do what follows. So let me read it to you again, but let me tell you what follows. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for training, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that, so that what? The servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Did you get that? We study God's word. So we can be equipped to teach and correct and rebuke from time to time in order that the man of God would be ready to do every good work. It's not just knowing it's doing. There's the so that. When I study my Bible and I read God's word and I learn the disciplines and I learn the doctrine, I learn what's true and I learn what is right, it's so that I can serve God. Does that make sense? It's not just so that I can know more about God. Christianity's never been about head knowledge. It's about faith and action. It's about faith and operation. Uh, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 8 says, The one who gets wisdom will love life. The one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. Why do we, leave, why do we read God's word? And because we understand the more wisdom of God's wisdom we get, uh, the more we embed it in our lives, the more we read even just a proverb of the day where Solomon uh, who had uh, a lavish lifestyle, had all the opportunities in the world. Solomon, looking back on his life, said, here's basically where I screwed up. Here's where I messed up. And so Solomon, through the book of Proverbs, just kind of sits there and says, hey, by the way, I found this. Uh, got to watch your words. Solomon said, you got to take time to train your kids. And guess what? In that same verse, and he goes, and from time to time, they kind of prodigal son on you. And you just then have to trust the precept that I've trained them up right, that someday they're going to come back to the right way. Anybody have kids like that? Anybody know? You just trust them. Does that make sense? Solomon says, hey, here's what I've noted. There are a lot of people 
They'll draw us away with the lust of the flesh. There are a lot of addictions and struggles I can follow, whether it's wine. Those, that's just wisdom. The people who gain wisdom early will what? Then he says will soon prosper. So thought number one, habit number one is this. Study your Bible, but not so that we'd grow in head knowledge, but so that the man of God would be equipped for every good work. Solomon said long before that, there's no henna clause in the Hebrew. But he says, gain wisdom and understanding, and you will prosper. There's a so that, right? Even in the Hebrew, in the old, he says, if you gain wisdom, God's wisdom, you will prosper God's way. Here's the second thing. Be faithful to your small group and your church. Be faithful to your small group and your church. If you want to be used by God, church can't be an afterthought. Let me stop you down right here and tell you, I know there is no such thing as a perfect church. There's no perfect life group. There's no, no perfect group. There's no perfect deacon body. Uh, we're definitely not a, a perfect church. I'm not a perfect pastor. You're going to see me have good days. You're going to see me have bad days. From time to time, you'll hear a good sermon. Uh, most of the time, you're going to hear something else. You're going to hear the best I got, man. Uh, you know, I, I just I just hope to hit. Uh, I hope uh, with my sermons to hit about major league batting average. You know, about two sixty, two sixty five, about. 2.65 of every one of my sermons is going to be good, but you got to be here all 10 of them, all right, because you might see me go over 4 in the month of May. Uh, so you want to be here in June because you're like, keep sending him to the plate. He's going to hit one, all right? So I want to encourage you with that. Man, be faithful. Man, serve. Uh, notice what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. What does that word spur mean? I mean, we all think we're in Texas, right? You get on a, uh, get on a horse uh, with your spurs, and you give him a little giddy-up. That means from time to time, we've got to give, give our buddy a little giddy-up. All right? We've got to spur one another on. I, how many of you own a horse? Anybody own horses in here? All right, I'll be honest. I'm scared to death of horses. I'm scared to death. I, and they know it, I think. Everybody says they sense it. Uh, I do. I've, I've walked up to, in fact, if you were to say, hey, come ride my harp, I got the horse, I wouldn't go. I, I wouldn't go because I've, ha- I've had that lie told me before. I've got a great horse. You can ride my horse. It's like when I get on that horse, I can feel them. Anybody ever been on that horse and they just kind of do this number two? And you're like, okay, this is not going to end well. And, and part of it is I grew up with uh, a guy, uh, Key Mullinex, and we used to go over after church back in, you know, back, in the, back in the days when you couldn't talk to your friends on text and parents would ever once, once a week. Listen, I'll send, let me send my kid to your house between Sunday morning church and Sunday night church, and then in three weeks I'll repay the favor and get your kid out of your hair. Uh, when we would come over to my house, we'd play ball, all right? We went over to their house. They had a field, and they had two horses. They had two horses that never got ridden until we would go over there. That was the only time they got, they got called in. They'd come in. One was a Shetland pony, all right? People who know horses, I didn't know this. I always thought, they're cute. You know, they're cute. Apparently, they're mean, and, and, and they don't like to. And that Shetland pony would just kick us and bite us. And uh, we absolutely remember being on the other side of the room. And when we were on the other side of the room, come on in, man. Uh, when we were on the other side of the room, not on the other side, other side of the field. Those horses would just from time to time decide they are going to the barn. 
And they wouldn't begin to meander to the barn. They would just take off running to the barn. And you're sitting there, you know, yanking on the ropes, and you're just uh, the reins, and you're trying to hold them back. And I absolutely remember on two separate occasions being running across that field in that saddle sliding over. And, and Mr. Molinex would come out, and I'd have bruises and scratches on my head. And he goes, yeah, they'll do that to you. You've got to watch them because they'll blow themselves up when you go put that saddle on you. And so it won't be tight. Well, I didn't know all that stuff. So that's my, that's my history with horses. So then my, my Baylor roommate, Keith Wright, he said, man, come out to my dad's ranch, get a horse. So we, we got a horse, started riding down this gravel road. Truck drove by. That horse turned around and took off. Every time I've gotten on a horse. It does something like that. Guess what? I'm not getting on a horse. But we got to spur one another on toward what? Love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. Man, as some are in the habit of doing. Some, it's, listen, don't be shocked. If somebody some season ago was incredibly faithful to God, faithful to be in Bible study or worship or church, and all of a sudden they become unfaithful. Guess what? That's not a new thing. That's not a 21st century thing. That's not an American Christianity thing. That's not a cottonwood thing. That's a thing. Why do you think in the first century the writer of the book of Hebrews said, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing? Why do you think he said that? Because some were in the habit of giving up meeting together. How many of you know that? All right? So a lot of times, uh, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm loving, because I'm moving. I remember when I first came as a pa- pastor and, and some of, the, some of the, the lovely people that were older than me, the, the previous generation, they would talk about the way the church used to be, the ch- way the church used to be. I'm glad I'm finally getting to that stage where I'm starting to talk about the way the church used to be. Anybody like that with me? You know, I, I'm starting to, these kids these days, man, back when I grew up, we used to, and guess what? I hated it. <laughs> I hated Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I hate a lot of stuff we did, but we did them, you know? Uh, but the reality of it is, some people you know, you're going to look around and go, man, they were so faithful. Just a different season in life. They become unfaithful. But encourage one another all the more toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as the day approaches. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, talking about the church and small groups, says, Have confidence in your leader, leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work may be a joy and not a burden. For that would be a bene- be of no benefit to you. In other words, whatever you do, don't make your pastor and someone who's your life group leader, don't make their life a burden. Uh, now, let me, let me just tell you this, what I've learned about the pastorate. And when you grow up, and you, you've heard me talk, I believe many of y'all uh, just in the next couple of years are going to be in ministry. You're going to be in ministry here at this church in a real and specific way. Um, here's what I know. I can make some really, really good decisions for the church body and the church family. Just and I, we can get together and we can think about them. We can make the best decision for the church body. And I can realize and I can be honest enough about that decision that it may well have been the best decision for the church, but it may not be a good decision for 10% of the church family. Does that make sense? I realize that. You can, you've heard the idea you can't make everybody happy. Our youth ministry... They can, they can minister to 90% or 95% of the kids that are out there, and they make great decisions. But the reality of it is there's always going to be 5 or 10% that it doesn't work for. 
And, and you can either say, golly, I'm just going to go complain. I'm going to go hammer the youth pastor. I'm going to hammer the pastor. I'm going to hammer my life group teacher, or I'm going to hammer this, or I'm going to hammer that. Or you can say, well, let me just sort through and see why it was a good decision. And say, okay, I can embrace that. It may not have been the best decision for me. I will tell you this, as your pastor, I have made some decisions for the church that were terrible for my family. I've made some decisions for the church that were not good for my family, but it was right for the church. Does that make sense? And you want to know why? I, why how I know that I made decisions in this church that were good for the church but were, were not right for my family? You want to know how I know? Because my wife told me. My wife told me, I guarantee you, Justin, we've made some decisions up here that he's gone home and Jennifer said, y'all did what? That, I'm telling you, it's just like you. I will promise you, I have made decisions that literally caused my family sacrifice. But it was the right thing for the church. I have made some decisions at the church, and a lot of them that were great for my family. That are great. And, and guess what? As we journey forward, and as you get up in ministry, you're going to make some decisions in ministry that are right for most people, but they're not right for some people. That's when you just honestly look them in the eye and say, I understand. That one didn't work for you. That one didn't work for you. But, but take the church as a whole and the ministry as a whole. And if, if a church and a leader is consistently making good decisions that do benefit you, don't let Satan do what he would love, you, love to make you do. Have you focus your mind and your heart on the one thing that you don't like or the two things that you don't like. Uh, you want to focus on all the good. Uh, here's the next idea when we say be faithful to your church and your small group. All the way back in Acts chapter 2, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer together. Here's number three. Ready? Be ready to share your testimony. Be ready to share your testimony. Over the years, uh, be ready to share your testimony. Over the years here at the church, uh, we have uh, taught evangelism explosion, CWT, um, grace evangelism, Four spiritual laws. How many of you know what I'm talking about? These are all different evangelism ways, right? These are all different evangelism. We've taught them all. And, and every one of them has had a certain measure of success and a certain measure of failure. Some of them require, like EE, it requires 13 weeks for you to memorize it all and get it ready and practice your faith, and it's good. Some of the other ones are, uh, are, are pretty short and pretty simple and four spiritual laws. Man, you remember four verses and four spiritual laws? All you got to do is remember at the end of the day, uh, Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and that's a simple one to learn and a simple one to apply, but there are times that, that it requires something different. But listen, in all of those opportunities to share your faith, the one thing that is absolutely vital is not that you would memorize the EE outline or the CWT outline or the faith outline or the four spiritual laws. Some point it's got to come down to you sharing your faith, sharing your testimony. First Peter chapter 3, verse uh, 15 and 16, but it says, Always in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this, listen to this, with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed by their slander. Always live in such a way that you would, when you talk about your faith, they would say, I may disagree with him, 
but his lifestyle pretty well demonstrates that he lives what he believes, that he lives what he believes. And notice it's real key. Would do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that if anyone makes, wants to mock you about your faith, they can, they can disagree with what you believe. They can't disagree with your lifestyle. They can't say, man, he says he loves Jesus, but he hates Hates, you know, but, he, but I hate his lifestyle or something like that. Uh, as you think about your testimony, if you just want to write this down, just write it real simply. Here's what your testimony is. What was your life like before Christ? How did I realize I had a need? You might say, I went to vacation Bible school, or I heard a preacher preach, or I was really in a deep, dark time in my life. I was a child, or I was an adult, okay? The next, how did I commit my faith, myself to Christ? How did I make the commitment to Christ? Uh, did I walk an aisle? Did a pastor sit down with me? Did my mom and dad share their faith with me? Was I at youth camp? When did I? How did I do it? How did I commit my life to Christ? And then finally, what now? Here's how I've lived. Now, when you talk about here's how you live, don't, don't say, and, and from the time I walked the aisle as a seven-year-old, I've been perfect. Because if you're talking to someone that knows you, they're probably going to look at you and go, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, not all of y'all are perfect. Most of y'all are perfect. But that's what you want to do. How, how has that changed my life? Man, it's kind of changed my perspective. It's changed the way I talk. It's changed the way I walk. Uh, but at the same time, you tell them, hey, and, and you've seen my lifestyle. There are times I'm up, times I'm down. Times I'm a good witness, times I'm a terrible witness. But when I go home after being a terrible witness, the Holy Spirit convicts me that I need to change some things in my life. I need to change. So always be willing to share your testimony. Uh, number four, and this goes a little bit, uh, I won't spend much time. Uh, follow and encourage and support your leaders. Whoever's leading you, follow, encourage, and support your leaders. Why do you want to learn or support your leaders? Because you're going to be one someday. You're going to lead others someday, and that's what you're going to do. Uh, you heard me share that uh, verse uh, uh, 7 and 17. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome or their way and imitate their faith. Part of what I want you to do in my lifestyle is to be able to imitate. Find something about me that you can imitate. If, if, if I'm getting impelled by someone, hopefully you hear, see me uh, Gentle, gently and graciously respond to them. If, if, if God blesses the church uh, like he did in this chapel campaign, that I'm not sitting here going, look at what I did, look at what I did, but I'm sitting there saying, God, work through us. Give away, man, because it couldn't. It, it, this would not have been done just with me. Uh, but, man, honor them and follow them. Imitate their faith. If you see someone who's really good in their faith, follow them. You know, if, if you like the way Shane does things, follow him. If you don't like the way Shane does things, which is the rest of us. Uh, y'all, somebody was supposed to laugh on that one. Okay. There, there are things that you'll look at Shane, and there's a boldness to Shane and an openness to Shane that that is probably not you. Does that make sense? You know, Shane's just, man, you know, he's just kind of all over the place. There's some things you sit up here and go, man, I can see God using me in ministry, but I'll never be able to talk in front of people. How many of you would say that? I mean, there, there are people that would say that. that. That don't look at certain people that you respect. Imitate those things that fit you, okay? If you watch them long enough, you will see things you won't like. And just realize they're going to be just like you. 
and then find your path. Imitate their faith. First uh, Timothy chapter five verse seventeen. Follow and encourage and support your leaders. First Timothy chapter five verse seventeen says, "The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. Are worthy of th- those who do it well." Guess why he said the elders of the church who lead well are worthy of double honor. Why did he say it that way? Somebody tell me. Did you hear it? Because there are some who won't do it well, right? Those who do it well are worthy of double honor. Some won't do it well. There are going to be times, and if God transfers you to another city or another place, um, and, 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 and you find yourself under a, a life group leader or, or a pastor, sometimes an elder, sometimes there are those who don't do it well. Now, nobody's going to do it perfect. Even the one you think, if you reflect back on a pastor you had growing up, and he was the, the, the perfect youth pastor, I will guarantee you there were people in his church that hated his guts. <laughs> I'm just telling you. You may have loved him as a student, but there were parents that were just all in his grill all the time because their kids were struggling or something didn't happen. Does that make sense? Don't, don't pretend someone else was Jesus incarnated a previous church because they weren't. You were probably blinded. Or you had the attitude that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who what? Focus on the things that are pure, right, true, and lovely. Let your mind dwell on those things. The more you'll let your mind dwell on the positive things, the more you'll see positive in a leader. The more you let yourself dwell on the negative things, the more you'll see the negative things. Now, you say, so pastor, this only applies in my ministry in the church, right? Wrong. This is what destroys marriages. The girl, the girl that you walk the aisle with, who you were willing to overlook all the imperfections, the fact that she was late to everything, including your wedding, but you loved her so much that all of a sudden now you've been married five years. And you're sitting in the car ready to go to the office Christmas party that you're supposed to open at 6.30. And she's still trying to figure out what to wear at 7. Guess what? You're focusing on the negative now. That's what begins to destroy marriages. We've stopped focusing on the... You would have never walked the aisle with her if you didn't intentionally put your blinders on. You would have never walked the aisle. But all of a sudden, we change our focus, Right? We start focusing on the negative and the little stuff, and and they do the same to us. And that's what begins to cause splits in marriages is we no longer focus on the good. We start focusing on the bad. Uh, I love... um I love this, uh, this passage, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 11 to 13. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. There's the each other up again, just as, in fact, you're doing. He says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. Man, honor. If, if you're coming in someday, just roll down the window from time to time and tell the guy who helps parks the cars, tells you where to go. Tell him thanks. We don't pay one of those guys to walk in here humiliate themselves, don that little fluorescent vest. They show up early and they do it voluntarily. Why? Because they're not the kind of people that want to stand in, stand in front of people and teach groups. But they want to serve the church. Now, they are the kind of people that love to tell people where to go, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let me tell you where you can go. Uh, so, if that's your gift, kind of the evangelist, <laughs> you go. 
Right over there, please. Uh, but there are people, people who serve in the children's ministry. If you've got kids, I will promise you, not, not every kid that comes out of there is going to come out of there with a clean diaper. I guarantee you, if I was, I, I was in that room holding your kid, boy, it'd be your kid, your stuff, and that diaper. So here's, here it is, all the back. That's why they won't let me serve in the children's ministry, okay? Youth ministry, I guarantee you they're doing everything they can. Consider encouraging them. And then follow it up with, hey, can I help you do anything? My guess is they'll say, as a matter of fact, you can. I could use some help because what you're talking about is a struggle we have. Come help us connect or do this with people or do this with parents. But it says to acknowledge those who are working hard among you who care for uh, the Lord and admonish you. He says, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Live in peace. Don't, Don't be a fighter. Don't be a fighter in the church. There are, there are a lot of good pastors, a lot of good churches have been derailed by constant bickering and fighting among God's people. A lot of churches who have been derailed by constant bickering and fighting that God had so much more planned for, and it just ha- didn't happen. Here's number five, and get this. This is the most important one. Apply what you already know. Apply what you already know. Here's the point. Whether you get into ministry or not has nothing to do with you learning more than you already know. Has nothing to do with you learning more than you already know. You just need to start applying what you do know. If you don't know theology, don't stand up and teach a theology class, but you can still love people. Once you've accepted Christ and you become forgiven, apply what you know. When I surrendered the ministry, and you've heard me share this, and, and this is the last uh, thing I'll share, back in uh, August of 89, I had lived from the time my father passed away probably about as bad a lifestyle as I'd ever lived in my life. From the time I was a junior at Baylor and he passed away, just I was all over the place with my faith. I was all over the place with my morality. I was probably all over the place with my words. Uh, I was all over the place. When I surrendered the ministry, I immediately got in the ministry. I didn't say, I'm going to go sit in a seminary class for three years. And then once I've learned all I can learn, then I'm going to go serve. I immediately uh, started in the ministry. I worked with, as an intern in youth ministry, and I started thinking, all right, I need to hone my craft. I need to do this. I need to, all right, and I can look at kids, and I can talk to kids, and I can share my faith with kids, but I couldn't stand up and talk to them. And I guarantee you, had one of them asked me back then, Hey, could you explain the Trinity to me? I would have said, "Mm, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. No, can you explain the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the... They like each other? Does that make sense? Had I waited for three or four years until I could define the Trinity, I would not have been honing my craft Okay, so that makes apply what you already know. If you are in the faith, you know enough to start serving somewhere. You know enough to start serving somewhere. Get the head knowledge along the way while you're applying. I will guarantee you if I took one of my kids or you took one of your kids and they said at at, at four years old, I want to be a major league baseball player. I want to hit home runs. All right. So then here's what we're going to do. We're going to teach you. All the way until you're 18. But you're never going to play in a game. We're just going to talk about hitting technique. 
We're going to talk about how you hold your hands, okay, where your elbow is going to be. We're going to talk about when the pitch comes, you want to drive your front foot forward, but the bat goes back. It's all like a rubber band. And as that ball comes right across the plate, you're going to swing hard. Don't close your eyes. It's really important. Don't close your eyes. Keep your eyes open. And so for for 12 years or or 14 years, I gave my son the best instruction. As a matter of fact, I was was lucky enough to to have my next-door neighbor be the hitting coach for the Texas Rangers. And every night that guy would come over and talk to him about hitting. How many of you think my kid would ever be able to hit a baseball? He'd be so locked up with what he's supposed to know and the mechanics of the batting swing, but he had never done it. Apply what you already know. Get in there and swing. Get in there and swing. And sometimes you're going to strike out. But what you know is enough to start doing ministry. And if you happen to be in a place where you're teaching somebody, I love it when from time to time a, a, a man will, for the first time in their life, say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to teach a small group in youth. I'm willing to teach children. And they say, what do I need to know? I said, just every Sunday you need to know a little more than they do. <laughs> and guess what? And then the next Sunday you learn a little more than they do, and a little more than they do, and a little more than they do. Apply what you already know. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these guys. God, as we close uh, uh this idea of God's plan for every man. It is that we would learn, but it's also that we would do. God, I pray your blessings in their lives, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, uh, whatever, uh, whatever activity they're involved in, whatever their struggle is, if there's a darkness in a certain area in their life, I pray that you would shine light and give them wisdom. If they're on a mountaintop, God, let us all high-five them together. But let us all apply what we know to your work and to your ministry. God, let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day, man. Good seeing you.